greetings and welcome to Book 101. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years. And today, I have my special guest. He's the author of several books, no other than Mr. Sean B.W. Parker. Welcome back, Mr. Sean, and can you please introduce yourself? Thanks very much, Dan. Yes, um, I'm Sean. Um, I live in I England, on the, the south coast of England, and uh, I'm a writer, artist, musician, and academic. And um, I've written nine books and kind of contributed to a handful more in poetry, culture, justice reform, and uh, the music as well. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm here to talk about today. Interesting, Mr. Sean. But before we go on to your second book, let's do the recap of the first book we talk about, Compelling Speech, The Stammering Enigma. Mm. Yes, um, Compelling Speech was uh, published just earlier this year. And um, it, it's a reflection of, the li of a lifetime of being a person who stammers and um, um, the cultural uh, impact that has on the person themselves and the way that the world sees them, how that's put out in the media, etc., along with some um, kind of humorous observations about how it is to get on in life and to still be ambitious to get things done whilst having this and the places that it comes from, how to live with it easier it's not a speech therapy book, but it's more of a cultural look at stammering itself, I guess. I think so. And well done for the book, um, Mr. Sean, because people for sure learn from it. So, Mr. Sean, what will be the second book that we're going to talk about today? Right. Um, we're going backwards and um, states of independence from pop art to art rock and beyond. Uh, is one that I, I released in um, in summer 2022, and um, it's uh, it's a it's a list book about about um, all a lot of 20th sort of century songs coming into the 21st century, um, which have been cancelled or have been controversial, or um, and the meanings behind those songs, what they were really talking about, and um, uh, how pop music has been sort of cancelled and edited by contemporary culture. So that's what the book is trying to do. So, Sean, you come from United Kingdom, right? I do. So do you think pop music is mostly come from United Kingdom or mostly the, uh, let's say, famous pop music? Uh, well... It's a worldwide industry now, pop, of course, and each country has its own pop music because um, it's, a, uh, it's a consequence of uh, folk music, which each country has its own folk um, going back centuries, and that's culture. And then with, um, with Elvis Presley and the Beatles in the 50s and 60s in America and Britain, um, it became industrialised so that um, this old 
for folk music then became kind of electrified and these uh, young men started to talk about girls and clothes and having a good time after the war, after the world wars. And so that was spotted as being very popular, a good way to relax, and then kind of gradually a good way to express yourself as those artists became more and more um, confident. So pop come and sort of rock and roll hand in hand with that come together along the years. Pop is a much more industrialized form, which is designed to entertain the listener to their comfort. Rock and roll, rock, good literature is about the expression of the artists themselves. That's how I would um, differentiate those. States of independence from pop art to art rock and beyond, how did you craft it? It, it started out as as me, uh, it was again sort of uh, during lockdown, um, trying to talk about to, to, to sort of, uh, what do you really want to write about, Sean? I talked to myself, and it's like, well, I love music, and I'm fascinated by the fact that that culture deems some songs unacceptable sometimes, but not at other times, and um, and the reasons behind that, and the industries behind that. So um, it started out as kind of doing um, kind of writing essays and articles on this subject. But then because the songs started to pile up, I started to differentiate the songs into a list form because we were up to 100, 150 songs. I think there's 150 in there, something like that. And um, so we'd go to a song like The Police's uh, Don't Stand So Close To Me, for example, in there, uh, which is from 1978 or something, from, from the punk sort of new, uh, the new Wave era, where Sting, the singer as a teacher, um, is concerned that he's getting too close to his pupil and it looks um what we would yeah. would call now stalkerish and um back then it was like an issue that the teacher had to go through and to sort out because he knew it was kind of it, kind of problematic and unethical uh, but now post me too that's been sort of weaponized into making that song very difficult for many people to listen to so um in the book i kind of humorously not always humorously but sometimes humorously sometimes uh, intellectually attack these kind of subjects. Uh, so yeah, it's about that. It's quite edgy, and uh, only because I like to ask edgy questions of art. So that's what's going on with the book. Interesting, uh, Mr. John. So what do you think? Why other pop music is not widely accepted by other people or mostly people? Oh right, I suppose kind of if you mean the countries of a culture don't enjoy the pop music of another culture. Yeah, that, that sort yes. of thing. Yes. I suppose it's because culture is subjectively referent. So, um, and it's all about the language for some. So um, if it's about people singing about love in, in kind of sort of Indian and uh, an Indian language, and then it trying to be accepted in sort of America, because those are two huge markets, the one of those is not going to take the other one seriously. Um, because it's a different language, which means that people automatically don't take things of another culture seriously. <laughs> it's not that they, it's nothing to do with hate. <laughs> it's to do with the fact that they don't see why it's of importance to their lives. So then, so if it becomes about just the, just the lyrics, it's going to lose out. Everything gets lost in translation in a song, unfortunately, though it can sound beautiful, like Spanish and things. Um, but when it comes to the tunes itself, all kinds of things can cross over here and there as long as the thing isn't too um, 
too kind of difficult to listen to. You know, if it's a catchy tune, a catchy tune is going to be that in almost all cultures, I think. So can you give us a five criteria to make uh, pop art widely accepted to other countries or uh, mostly to the world? Um, I suppose the best way to get sort of pop art and pop music as two different forms accepted by other cultures um, is the process of what's now called kind of cultural appropriation, which is a is a criticism from cultural theorists to, to say that things should be kept separate. And if you do use things of another culture, you need to acknowledge absolutely everything. Um, but culture actually goes forward by mixing up. So if you want to make something, um, Mr. Paul Simon went from, from America, from as a, as a New York Jew to South Africa to record the album Graceland. And the, the genius of that was to get his immaculate sort of songwriting skills, the bridge over troubled water, etc., and to graft on um, the, the Lady Black, Black the Mambazo um, group from South Africa's choir onto the songs and did an amazing alchemical mix of those two things to make the album Graceland, which was a massive seller in the mid-80s. It was cultural appropriation past the Rolling Stones and past sort of Picasso doing the face masks that he imported from Easter Island. And that's how to move the culture forward to not be constantly concerned about they're stealing this off me, where's my money, as opposed to um, they are trying to, to form a new culture going forward. And that's a positive thing for everybody. The finances can come later. So um, attempting to get your question from behind there. <laughs> Very well said, Mr. Chan. But before we go on, I want to shout out to the people listening in the land of Thailand. Thank you, Thailand, for supporting this podcast because in Bangkok, I get 76% audience share. Changwat Mantelburi at 6%, Pathum Thami at 6%, Kangwat Mudham at 3%, Nan at 3%, Phuket at 3%, and last but not least, Changwat Samarut Sanghon at 3%. Thank you so much, Thailand, for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world like Mr. Sean B.W. Parker. So Mr. Sean states of independence from pop art to art rock and beyond. What is the best highlight? Best highlights? Um, I think that really, really does depend on, on the reader in this case, especially in this book. And so not just trying to avoid the question. It's um, the fact that as the person reads and they go, oh, I love this artist. I love sort of Prince, for example. They'll have a read of the article on Prince in there, which uh, is uh, Get Off, I, I believe, um, covering his song. And they will be touched <laughs> by the humour and also the critical observation, which I kind of bring in, into it, which is basically people who are serious about pop music. And there's lots of people out there like this um, can get something out of this book because they're reading it in a different way that's just uh, pop is not just confection. It's not just a thing that's going on out there like, like the wallpaper. It's something much deeper and it goes into people's souls. And this book attempts to go in there to try to find out the reason that something's beautiful and powerful and deep 
and to explore that. So that highlight really will be up to the person's appreciation of their favourite artist and how I've written about them. So, Mr. Sean, if you want to go back and revise the book itself, which part of the book do you want to revise? Ooh, revise. Well, um, the things that I do usually go through lots of revisions. So um, uh, I, there's a couple of entries in there which are like, well, why have I talked about them, like Bon Jovi and things like this? And um, there are some things that are very obscure, which people won't kind of kind of recognize too easily. But the good thing about Spotify, etc., is that you can go straight to the song I'm talking about and listen to it. So the wonderful thing about tech is that you can, you can you can read this book with one hand, and then with the other hand you can go and see. Oh, I've never heard that song before. Sounds interesting. Tap it in and listen to it. And you couldn't do that 30 years ago. So um, uh, yeah. Wow, interesting. Is this uh, something in your list that you miss that you want to put uh, in the book? Oh, good question. There, there are many, many, you know, there's a million, billion songs out there and many of them are missed in a, in, in a book of 150 of them. Um, but I did sort of try to restrict myself to one song per artist as opposed to having an artist with five different songs, which could have worked in there. If I talked about Mr. Eminem, who's probably the most controversial artist of the last couple of decades, maybe, um, I could have done more than the one that's in there, which is uh, uh, The Guilty Conscience, I think, where he um, talks about himself in, in, a, in a kind of a dialogue with Dr. Dre about kind of committing crimes and if he should or not. And it's a wonderful thing that happened before counterculture, cancel culture, where you could actually have a conversation with yourself as opposed to immediate kind of uh, moral judgment of yourself, which is what happens now. Um, yeah, haven't answered you very well, but I never do, do I? I just kind of go on a point somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So, Mr. Sean, what are the criteria that you uh, put in yourself to be on your list for this book? What are the criteria I put on myself to be on the list for this book? Yes this musician will be included to the book. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yes. I suppose if a song has had had quite a lot of airplay, it's very famous, um, it will get on because of that. And if it has controversy about it um, at the same time, like um, uh, uh, um, to Pharrell Williams and to Robin Thicke kind of, kind of uh, did, did actually release a song blurred lines about seven or eight years ago and it became a enormous worldwide hit and thus was sued by the Marvin Gaye Foundation in order to and they succeeded to say that this was too much like the original uh, it was controversial because of that um, but artistically but it was also controversial because it being about the B2 uh, being being uh, about kind of uh, rape culture for example so I do a good page in that about trying to explore the quality of a song and its credible danceability and the fact that the ideas expressed in there are rather old fashioned. And that's what's happening in that song. So um, the criteria of what's going on is, is it interesting? Is it catchy? Is it effective? And can I make a good chunk out of what I'm talking about? And I think I succeed with that generally. Yes. So, Mr. Sean, what are your preparation in writing states of independence from pop art to art that can be beyond? 
Um, it wasn't so much sort of prepared as I just started um, in lockdown to just like get those ideas out about the music I love. And then quickly that became more kind of cultural observations about the music I love. And then it span out into all these different stories about all these different songs. And so when that happened into the hundreds uh, and sort of the dozens, I thought this might make for better reading if it's listed because then people don't have to see it as, as a beginning to end thing. They can go to the contents and go, oh, I want to read about that one. Um, gives them a memory. And so it's like coming into a reference guide as opposed to a traditional book of, of any kind. Um, so preparation was not really. I just started and I had all the information about this music inside me. And um, yeah, I was able to just kind of talk about it because I knew. Very well said, Mr. Sean's state of independence. What do you think missing in the book or flaws? Um, flaws. Well, there's always many flaws, which my which the readers have to point out, but no, not many. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 as I've sort of said, that there's a lot of lot of so, lot of songs in the world, and there'll be readers who say, "Why didn't he talk about this song that I love so much?" or why did he did he talk about this one, which isn't even controversial? Um, and I suppose the answer to that is that I have a taste as well. And so the book will, it's not all the same genre by any means, but it revolves around depth. So if a song doesn't have any depth past, past the one dimension, <laughs> like a lot of pop doesn't really seem to, then it's not going to make it in there. It has to be able to be talked about on a few different levels. And that can be the most saccharine pop out there. But as long as it has lots of different ways you can talk about it, like like the song uh, Barbie Girl by Aqua in, in, in sort of the late 90s. It's a very irritating, catchy song for kids. But it has all these very questionable sexist, uh, what, what they start to call sexist things. And now, of course, it's a big film. So you tie in all those cultural things. And I try to tease out. Um, what else is in that conversation in this book. So what what isn't there is as important as what is. And it's up to the reader to demand that I write another one, and then I will, you know. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed, Mr. Sean. Should you define music, what is it? What is music? <laughs> um, the music is a... It doesn't exist. What I love about music is it doesn't actually exist. It's it's a it's it's a thing that is out there which doesn't have a form, which we all agree on. We can all hear if we can hear, and it's um it's an agreed term that exists on itself by itself, and it calms rage, it calms emotions, it heightens emotions, it um kind of takes you to another place beyond politics and other human issues and that's the beauty of it and that's why it can connect people in ways that other things can't and um and it's done that th throughout the throughout the centuries and it continues in tech to do that and it has to resist the power of tech to sort of crush everything in its way but we seem to be doing okay so far just like with the song that was released not so long ago by mr thomas oliver uh rich 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 men of of uh richmond which Rich men, the north of Richmond, which is about the Republican and the Democrat kind of election next year. But it's a basic folk song which went viral. And if that sort of thing can still happen, then we still have hope, don't we? 
<laughs> Definitely. <laughs> But before we go on, Mr. Sean, I want to invite you to listen to my other podcast, Geography 101. Geography 101 is all, all the places that I visited from Europe, Caribbean, North America, South America, Asia, and a lot more. So please do listen Geography 101. Plus one more, please do grab a copy of my latest financial book money matters volume 2 mastering the art of intelligent investing all about investing people's right? this book serve as a comprehensive guide for those seeking to deepen their understanding of the investment world so please do grab a copy money matters volume 2 mastering the art of intelligent investing so mr shan Are you independent or traditional publishing? Oh well, um, that entire industry has now changed, uh, or it's um, being an independent publisher is very exciting because um, you have control over the editorial process, and you can go straight to Amazon. Um, you can market it on X or Facebook. And then it can become its own ecosystem of attention. With the podcast revolution that that, that we're a part of, um, you don't actually need the the, the, tr the traditional kind of publishing houses. Apart from the fact they have a nice little kind of mark <laughs> and and a certain kind of email list that they can send out to, and a marketing budget, which helps, of course. But um, apart from that, it's possible to grow your independent operation as long as you have an independent voice and you stick to what you believe in you stick to your own um uh, integrity as long as you have a voice that does that in a human way um you can you know you can become artistically successful i don't know about successfully in a in a, the financial way because there's a lots of different kind of authors on different kinds of incomes but as long as you stick to your guns you can market this stuff in a way that has its own integrity and it's a very exciting thing about the tech situation at the moment i think Yes, indeed. So they think in the future you'll be a traditional publishing if the big five will approach you. <laughs> big five. I'm um, I'm not impressed by anything of the uh, establishment, uh, Daniel. So it's like I um, if anybody comes to me with a creative idea, whoever they are, I'll talk to them as long as it's creative and interesting. If they ask me to compromise a view on something or to say, oh, you need to take that out because it's too dangerous or we don't agree, I'll say, well, no, then we're not working together um, because what I've written has has a has an integrity and a meaning and that needs to stay. So you might as well stick to your guns. Otherwise, what's the point? You're just doing it off the back of a name. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a bit sort of old school when it comes to sticking to your guns, but I don't think that's a bad thing. And if anyone reads me, they already know that about me. So, um You know, it's not a surprise to them. I shouldn't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So states of independence from pop art to art rock and beyond. Is there a follow-up for this book? Oh, good question. I'd like there to be one. Um, I really enjoyed doing it because because you're writing about sort of something you love as opposed to something you've gone through or um, the more uh, difficult parts of, of some stuff that I write. Um It'll take time. Everything takes time. I've got a publishing queue of um, things that I'm working on at the moment. I've got some poetry coming out sort of next year, which I'd like to come back to you to talk about. And um, but it's like 
I'd love to do that. It's just I like also to mix up what I do. So I don't like to have one, two, three all in a row and then that'd be it. Perhaps we'll have the one and then another one a couple of years later once people have absorbed the first one sufficiently. So scheduling your releases is quite important to me as well, I guess. Yes, indeed. So, Mr. John, what will be your message for those aspiring writers out there that they want to publish their book? Um, stick to your guns, as I've said, as in, if you've written it, stand by it. Um, also, don't ed edit yourself as you write. Put everything that you want to write on the page, however difficult or dangerous it's, it looks. Um, come back to it the next day or the next week and go, that was good. I'm going to keep that. And that wasn't so good. I'll get rid of that. And you'll be surprised by the things that you end up keeping and getting rid of. Um, that's the problem with um, getting drunk and just kind of publishing sort of a tweet on the same day is that you sort of go, oh, I didn't mean that. Well, with publishing, it's slightly different. You can look at these things again and again until you're perfectly sure about what you want to say and how you want to say it. And that can often be very powerful. And you might not be as offensive as you think you're being. So don't e edit yourself too much for people who actually write, you know, from the, f the first person or even the third person. If you're doing a tricky story about a murder or something, don't edit yourself out of existence. Keep the, keep the difficult edges in because in a world of tech, which tries to get rid of all the edges, um, keeping the edges on is much more important, I'd say, artistically. Yes, people, we encourage you to do your writing because probably you're one of the best in the making. So, Mr. Sean, how would you be procrastinating? Procrastinating? I, uh, that, that is not part of my vocabulary. I know what it means, but I, I don't, um, I, I get on with it. If I have a diary and it's a list and I tick off the things in that list and I make sure everything is done in the most sort of sensible order to, to make sense in the day, to still have the day enjoyable. <laughs> and I've got <laughs> diff different work that I do, and I try and schedule it all as best I can. So there's no procrastinating around here, I'm afraid. Oh, wow. What a word, Mr. Sean. So can you please invite our listeners to buy all your books? <laughs> Certainly can. If, if they go to Google and they input Sean B.W. Parker, S-E-N-B-A. B.W. Parker, then they will see my Amazon page. And on the Amazon is all of my nine and also a couple of the ones I've contributed to. And if they want to follow me on Twitter on a daily basis, um, it's the same there. Uh, Twitter at uh, X at Sean B.W. Parker is my tag on there. So, yeah, it's how to find me. So, Mr. Sean, do you have another option for the title of States of Independence? Uh, it was going to be just a uh, from pop art to art rock and beyond for a while. And then I realized that I like states of independence because in 2022, I um, I see a lot of homogenization in culture, which means everybody coming together to be the same sort of thing. And I disapprove of this artistically and humanistically. I like the ind individuality of the person being paramount as opposed to the homogenization of tech. So that means independence. And all the artists I talk about in that book with the songs are speaking about human truth. And that's so important. So I thought I'd try to um, uh, exercise that as best I could in the title. So I added states of independence. So Mr. Sean, if you're gonna differentiate 
pop art to rock art? What the big difference? Well, um, uh, pop pop art is um, is an artistic form of the fifties and sixties uh, of of the last century, which is pretty pretty much sort of uh, the visual with um, artists like Andy Warhol and Dory Lichtenstein, um, and having their big kind of Marilyn uh, Monroe pictures and that sort of thing, bold colours, um, and put things put in a very simplistic way, but but with an edge of comment on celebrity. With art rock, it's um, it's the form of rock and roll that we were talking about earlier, being a commercialised, aimed at teenagers thing, but um, being given depth by people who consider themselves to be artists who are playing rock and roll, like uh, Genesis or Talking Heads or Mr. Brian Eno, um, up to kind of everything, everything and uh, sort of blur um, into this century. So art rock became kind of rock for people who like to think, I suppose, and also like lots of different levels in, in what they're listening to. So I tried to span those two things together into this one book of, of, of a list of songs. Well said, Mr. Sean, and thank you, listen notes for my latest score of 26, and of course, 10% popular show globally. Thank you so much. So, Mr. Sean, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Daniel. Always lovely to speak to you, sir. Morgan people, see you soon.